0: So, God is for us. God is for us. You say it with me. God is for us. It's a most important thing. We live, uh, um, and I want to come back to that repeatedly during the morning. God is for us. Now, we live in an age where we've had this hashtag, me too... And uh, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because I've been a Christian for some 40 years. I was not a Christian when I was growing up, but in my adult years I've been a follower of Jesus. And in that time, people have really complained that the Bible is uh, c- gives us lots of rules, and that's really oppressive and takes away our freedom. We don't want all these rules, and, it's, and, it's, and Christians are really intolerant because they have these rules. But it turns out that um, that actually people want rules, right? They don't want they want it to be made clear that men are not free to touch a woman's bottom or something like that. Yeah, that's why we have this hashtag Too. and. Uh, uh, so, uh, and it's great with these ethical things sometimes we need to kind of help ourselves understand what these things are about and one of the ways to do that is to swap around the parties in a scenario because after this recent episode of this President's Club uh, dinner where the women, it was a men only event it was all in the media if you missed it, sorry about that and the uh, women were hired as hostesses young women and were the subject of uh, advances they didn't want and, uh, and sometimes you get men saying, oh well I thought women wanted to have me put their hand, my hand up their skirt or stuff like that well sometimes, let's just think about that that is not right by the way okay? um, but to help a man understand something like that, let's change the story a bit and say, how about another man, is any other man free to put his hand down your trousers And then you're inviting the person to connect with why it's wrong that they make that assumption. So, um, as I say, many people think the Bible is full of unpleasant commands designed to make us miserable. That is not true. And the reason that's not true is because God is for us. Yes, say it with me. God is for us. And therefore, when he gives us commands, it's for our good. So, I want to propose that... The Bible tells us above all that God is for us, and once you realise that, it enables us to embrace, not, not just to realise it, but to really get us into our know that God loves us, like he's been telling us this morning, that he's for us, that he is good. Then we start to be able to hear his, when he gives commands, we start to be able to hear those commands well and accurately, and we start to be able to love them, even when he gives commands that we feel uh, intrinsically must be wrong. We, we, we start to listen through. The sense that we think that thing is wrong, and to see that and hear behind that the goodness of God for us. So, I want to read a passage. It's in one Peter. It'll come up on the screen if you don't have a Bible, and it's to do with husbands and wives. So, I think it has wider application. And I believe it will illustrate that sometimes the Bible commands things that we bristle about. We feel, oh, I'm not sure that's right. But I want you to uh, think about the fact that God is good and therefore even things He commands that seem to us in our present cultural context not to be attractive are in fact good for us. This week we've celebrated a hundred years since most women were granted the vote in Britain. That was a great step forward ago. I believe a good thing. And, um, And before that, not long before that, people, women in Britain were, if they got married, were more or less like the chattels of their uh, husband. But if you go back 2,000 years, that was definitely the case in Greek and Roman culture. That a woman was, belonged to her father before she was married and after she was married she belonged to her husband. And that meant something, let, let me illustrate what that actually meant in the laws of those ancient cultures. That meant her father could actually kill his daughter with impunity. That's how much a daughter belonged to her father. And similarly, a husband, he could be displeased by his wife and kill her, and that was, could be done with impunity. That's the sort of situation that existed in the ancient world. And, uh, I, and I don't think that's a good situation and we uh, need to read, understand as we come to Peter here because in that culture a woman couldn't have her own opinions what her husband said was binding law and uh, what we then find is Peter is addressing a scenario where the apostles were going around the Mediterranean world and spreading out into Africa, going across into India we know many apostles went in all directions although the Bible only records what the apostles did coming towards Europe. And they were preaching Christ, and people were turning to Christ from other religions. And uh, and what sometimes happened was that a man was converted, but not his wife. But in that cultural scenario, when that happened, he started going to church, and his family came anyway, because they had to. But what about that situation where a woman turned to Christ, but her husband did not? Imagine that scenario when you're in a culture like I've just described. And Peter here addresses that very scenario. So he says, reading from verse 1, Likewise, wives be subject. It says likewise because he's gone through a whole series of situations where he's saying slaves be subject to your masters and that people in general need to be subject to the governing authorities in a country. And so he says likewise slaves be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewellery or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. And then verse 5, For this is how the holy women, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Once again, picking up a theme from this morning about fear. Verse 7, likewise husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Father God, I want to ask that light would flood into our minds from your word, because I believe it is a good word given by a good God who is for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Now, I was not brought up as a Christian. And uh, I want to say that I always believed in some sort of God, but I believed that God was against me. I believed that God was trying to trick me, was trying to do me down, was trying to get one over on me. I was not instructed in that. That's just something I implicitly came to. I think it was because, I, well, I wasn't taken to church. I received very little religious instruction. What I did receive, I rejected. And I could just see the world seem to be quite an uncomfortable place lots of bad things happened so I thought whatever higher power was out there was out to get me and that meant that I I did actually quite often pray to God but I used to pray for the opposite of what I wanted because I thought that God was against me and therefore if I prayed the opposite I might get actually something like what I really wanted now you might think how weird is that but that that is the gospel truth and, uh, and it was after I became a Christian, I was still wary about God, but I had begun to trust him more, but I certainly, for several years, I was getting to know what this God was like, the true God that the Bible tells us about. And there's a verse in Psalm 118... Um, Um, uh, Well, actually, let's, yeah, Psalm 118 verse 6, which says this in the New American Standard Version, the Lord is for me, I will not fear, what can man do for me? Right, the Lord is for me. The Lord is for me, and it's repeated, I think, in another verse in Psalm 118, in that version. This is something, this is a good verse to memorize, and in this particular version, the Lord is for me, God is for me, is a very powerful thing to become convinced about. And one of the biggest transformations that can happen to us after Christ finds us, is this growing realization, God is good and he is for us, he loves us, and he is for us us, And therefore we can trust him, as was read by Nick in that passage um, earlier from Romans 15, a young man who read out from over here, who often reads such apt Bible passages out. Uh, and and he is brave to do that, because a lot of the rest of you are not brave enough to do it. Right, so, You Make Me Brave is a song that he's living out, yes? So good for him. I love it. Now, once you know that God is for us then I believe you can start to hear his plans, as good plans, his good commands, as good plans for us. And uh, all the time I distrust God, I'm suspicious of what he commands, but all the time that I'm trusting that he is good and he's for me, then I start to engage with what he commands and, and think, well, there must be some goodness in this. I might not be able to see it, it might seem odd to me, but there must be some goodness in this, if I would hear it well. And so it helps me to hear his commands accurately rather than not. Because for a lot of us, when we've read this passage, you might have thought, oh wow, this is just such old-fashioned stuff. This is the 1 Peter 3 passage, it's just making women subject to men, it'll open the door to domestic abuse and violence, it will be such a negative thing. This is what I always thought Christianity was, old-fashioned, befuddled stuff that we should reject. But actually if you read this carefully, it doesn't, it's not quite like that. It certainly does say about wives being subject to their husbands. But what does that submission look like? Um, well, it's um, not quite as 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 dramatic as we think, because it's quite clear wives be subject to your own husbands. It's not talking about a general subjection of women to men. There's not that is not taught in scripture, and um, and also it's uh, it, it, the, the kind of thing that's talked about here can't mean the worst thing that we imagine, because for example, we're told here in verse one of uh, one Peter three. I think it's that's the next slide. Um, wives be subject to your own own husbands so that even if some of them do not obey the word they've not responded to the gospel they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives Um, in other words there's several things we can learn about here wives were commended for having a separate opinion about things to their husbands here in this passage Peter is, is saying is not saying because you've got to be subject to your husband your husband is not a believer therefore you must not be a believer, he doesn't say that does he he says you've now become a believer and I commend you for that that's a good thing to have decided for yourself what is the ultimate truth of this universe and to have embraced Christ good for you woman and so he commends that so being subject doesn't mean that you must agree with your husband, in this case it means you must definitely disagree with your husband and so that's something, So, so our idea of what it means for a wife to submit to her husband can be faulty and you might also think that um, because scripture says a wife should submit to her husband that she mustn't seek to change him but that isn't what Scripture says either, because it says here that she's aiming to win him. In other words, she's aiming to change his mind about Christianity. And she might have a few other ideas for him as well. So that, that, so being a wife submitting to her husband doesn't mean that she doesn't want to change his mind and to change him. Now, how she goes about that is also referenced here, because nagging, it doesn't, nagging doesn't help any of us change. Have you noticed that? When I'm nagged, I dig my heels in and you might do the same. Man or woman, right? child, teenager, nagging does not work, right? Why do we use nagging when it doesn't work? There's something satisfying for us to nag, but it's ineffective in its purpose. So let's give it up, shall we? Let's give it up. And similarly, we can work by shaming others. We can think that, it, that we'll change other people by shaming them. Well, shaming doesn't work either. In fact, shaming is a destructive method. And so let's not use shaming either. So. Uh, I want to say, I believe that what scripture teaches here about wives being subject to their husbands, there is something good about this, and I want to invite you to so embrace and know that God is good and that he is for you, that you would think there must be something good in here that I want to find, and I'm going to leave it at that really and move on, but I want to say to you, please, let's notice that, and I'm interested to see that even in today's world, people who are not Christians are seeing some kind of merit in a more traditional understanding of these things. For example, there's a a, a barrister who became a high court judge who specialised in family law and when he retired from being a judge, he set up an institution in Cambridge called the Marriage Foundation. This man has no faith. I've heard him interviewed on the radio. He's adamant that he has no particular morality and no Christian faith. And yet he argues fervently for marriage. And I think, way, that's great. We can have fellow cause with someone like that, and they produce some excellent material now one of the people who's employed by this kind of think tank uh, wrote a letter in response to an article in a newspaper, it's got an image of the letter, of this um, letter here, to show Um, the next slide I think, here we go, Uh, rules for romance, right, rules for romance here you go, rules, it's funny the world wants there to be some rules rules for romance Uh, Sir, Laura Prendergast describes a flourishing floundering generation desperate for reliable love but with no real idea how to find it and this was in an article sexual reformation from the 4th of November our culture has forgotten the basic principles of forming successful relationships right this is the research director of marriage foundation writing this They've done that their views are based on researching what actually happens and what succeeds and then he writes personally my daughters a Apply three simple guidelines on choosing boyfriends wisely. One, does he fight for you? What a great question! Right, we have a lion that fights for us. Right, (laughs) now then, next, what was some? Men's commitment is linked to willingness to sacrifice. He needs to show that he'll put himself out for you. That's a great line, right? Two, is he marriageable? I'm not saying marry straight away, but he needs to have characteristics such as kindness and generosity. Brilliant. And three, can he make decisions? Can he commit to things and stick at them? Does he decide rather than slide? Result, four young women who are confident about their relationships and have made good choices. My guidelines for my two teenage sons... Be that man. (laughs) Isn't that great? And uh, so that's like 1 Peter 3 in a kind of modern secular nutshell. Now, yes, of course... We can't deny, I believe, there are differences between men and women and there are differences between people who are more powerful and less powerful in society and that can be a ground of abuse and that is a terrible thing. So I want to make a little diversion here because for me, I think it's utterly abominable that women are the subject so often of sexual coercion and violence, of domestic violence. I'm utterly ashamed of that as a man and I want to speak against it. It's, it's quite dreadful that over 200 women a day report being raped in England and Wales. That's utterly atrocious. It's um, terrible that every week two women are murdered by their present or former partners in England and Wales. That is terrible. And uh, uh, there are signs of domestic abuse or violence. I've got this from somewhere else, from a reputable source, which I can't remember where it was now. I apologise for that. But there are certain signs of behaviour. And these, can, these often occur actually in teenagers with boyfriends and girlfriends. There's coercive behaviour. There's a pressure for young girls to, to take pictures of themselves naked and text them to boyfriends. This is ridiculous, right? This is outrageous. And so it's coercive and, and it's not right. So is he jealous and possessive? Does he cut her off from family and friends and try to isolate her? Is he charming one minute and abusive the next? Prince charming then a monster. Does he control every detail of her life? For example, access to money, who she should see, what she should wear. Does he monitor her movements? These are all controlling things. If you know people in relationships like this if these things kind of happen you need to alert somebody this is dangerous there's another there are three slides of this next slide please Um, thank you Stephanie does he blame her for his violence it's amazing how women in these kind of oppressive situations believe they're at fault because they have been conditioned into that belief falsely by the treatment they give does he humiliate or insult her in front of others using shaming does he verbally abuse her does he constantly criticize her does he use anger and intimidation to frighten her and make her comply with his demands Does he tell her she's useless and couldn't cope without him? Third slide. Has he threatened to hurt her or threatened to hurt people close to her if she leaves? Sometimes the threat will be to kill a pet, a loved pet, things like that. Does she change her behaviour to avoid making him angry and triggering an outburst, an attack? Does he force her to have sex when she doesn't want to? Listen, there's, I just throw these out there because um, there is some research that suggests domestic violence is more common amongst people of faith. And I think that's terrible. And I want to say that if, the, if these things happen, we we do not support them. And, it, 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 and this is wrong. This should not happen. These things are... Um, Shameful and uh, we, we should speak out and speak up and put a stop to such things. So, that's a little bit of a departure. I want to get back now. Once you know that God is for you, if we know that God is for you, how does that start to appear in the way we live? Because all true, uh, when we love God and we believe in God, it starts to affect the way we live so, um, uh, the, 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 I'm going to take several things from the passage here. If we go to verse six of the passage, I think it should be the next slide. If I've organised the PowerPoint well, Stephanie. Apologies if I haven't. Uh, it says there in verse six that, that about Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. In other words, you're like her. Uh, we got verse five as well, haven't we? These are the holy women who hoped in God. To hope in God is only only possible if you believe that God is good and God is for you. Because you wouldn't hope in God if you didn't believe he was good and he was for you. Alright? So, the very foundation of this, the very foundation of it and, and, and really don't try to attempt, it, or you'll never probably succeed in following well, I think you will not succeed in following Christ if you don't get to know him and what he's like. That he is good and he is for us. And so the commands are there, but the commands need to be heard through this. You must get grounded in who God is and know him for yourself. Know this love, actually receive this love to live this out. So these people, these women of the Old Testament that Peter's referring back to, who um, hoped in God, right, they hoped in God, they, those people, we then learn the end of verse 6, they, we, we are her children. We are like those people like Sarah, the, who may, was married to Abraham, if you remember the Old Testament. They do good, right? If you know that God is for you, that he is good, then you start to do good because that's what you are like. You become like that. I remember a couple I married years ago when I was on staff at the coin church. And he was a Leeds United supporter. And as a result, she became a Leeds United supporter and I, I met them uh, about 18 months ago and they're still both supporting Leeds United you know. and so when you, when you love somebody you start to love what they love and so because God loves doing good, we love to do good. And, and actually we're released to do good because we know he's been good to us and we have a confidence he will be good to me again tomorrow. And therefore I'm set free to be good to other people because I don't feel the need to, to hoard what I have already because I'm fearful I will have nothing left. So because God is good and he's for us, we're not passive but we're able to take great initiatives like take those children out bowling or start, you know, eat well, spend less or do go out with healing on the streets. So that's one thing. And then the next thing it says that those that we're her we're children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening going back to the fear thing, we do not fear anything that is frightening literally not fearing any intimidation I I realise that because human relationships are so often broken and maybe in your history there's been abuse, there's been abuse from a father, there's been abuse in marriage, there might be divorce, all kinds of things that have got messed up in our lives And, and, and then we can read a passage like this and almost start to fear, oh no, maybe I'm not acceptable to God, I want you to know that whatever our history we're not made right with God by our history but because of the goodness of Jesus Christ and therefore we're all on the same book, we all have a history that we would be embarrassed to come and report at the front most likely but that's been put behind us now because of the goodness of Jesus Christ and the gospel of God which is grounded in the fact that God is good and that God is for us And therefore he has acted to rescue us. And because of that, you see, if you have had some terrible experience, if you're in a situation which is oppressive or you've got a memory of one and which brings a dark cloud of fear and of oppression, I want you to know that was hell touching earth and that was not God's will. Because God's will is that that his will would be done on earth as it is done in heaven, that heaven would touch earth. And that is his heart. And not that hell, hell would touch earth, so we his plan is not that his plan is that we would live without fear it 's god 's plan it is not pla- god 's plan that you would live in fear now there 's a kind of reverence which is appropriate towards God, a, and a good thing, but a craven fear that entraps us and that is controlling that is not his plan for us now i don 't know about you. But in my experience, I can't really stop the feelings of fear coming. They just kind of arrive. So it's because they're emotions, and the emotions are not directly in our control. So the question I would say, don't feel guilty about feeling fear, because emotions are not something we should feel guilty about. But we should always wonder, why did that emotion come up? It's a great question to detect the emotions you're feeling and to interrogate them, to say, why am I feeling that? To look behind that. What's going on inside me that that has suddenly flowered in my life? Because... There are emotions that reveal something that may be wrong, a, a misbelief that we have, a, 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 a gap in our trust of our Father God, which he wants to fill so that we wouldn't be subject, say, to that fear. And, uh, but in addition, I do think that when I've ever heard kind of military heroes uh, interviewed, they, they, they don't say, oh, I, I was scared. But I still acted. That was the difference. They were scared, but they did something. We can be paralysed by fear, but under the power of the Holy Spirit, I think that we can face fear and step out anyway. And that's why we sing, you make me brave. I can step out into that new thing. I can step into that deep water. Uh, it's it's, It's picture language, isn't it? I mean... I actually do find water a little bit scary. In fact, I went through a whole period as a child where I really wouldn't go into the sea. But I sought prayer, and I will go into the sea now. But I couldn't really tell you that I'd like to drown. Right? I, you know, on that pecking order of how how you'd like to die, drowning comes down the list for me. Right? So I'm not keen on water. Maybe you don't think like this, but there, um, and I don't get to choose, do I? But um, Sorry, I'm getting distracted by myself there. <laughs> but we we it's that at that moment of fear we can choose whether to let the fear control us or to remind ourselves no there is a lion on the throne of God. There is a lion, and uh, and the righteous are as bold as a lion. The Scripture says, and I, I, I'm not righteous. Oh, but wait a minute! I am because I've been given Christ's righteousness. He's clothed me with Christ's righteousness. Therefore, I should stop disqualifying myself, and I can be righteous and I can be bold as a lion. Now, one of the Old Testament passages that particularly speaks about wives is in Proverbs 31. It's a very famous section in which a sort of model wife is described. And in that script, there's a, I've got the overhead, Stephanie, it says of this model wife, she's clothed with strength and dignity. Right? She's clothed with strength and dignity. Now, yes, there's weakness in us as well, but we look to God to make us strong. Right? The joy of the Lord makes us strong. And we will have his joy when we realise he's good and he's for us. Right? And, uh, and then it says, she can laugh at the days to come. I, I, it's just so good that, isn't it? I, I love this verse. She can laugh at the days to come. Laughter is a, is, is a, is a weapon that destroys fear. Because fear will, won't let you laugh. But when you laugh, f- fear finds it very hard to hang around. Right? Laughter. We 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 can laugh at the future. Yes. Right? You might think, well, you don't know what I'm facing, Andrew. Well, I face stuff in my life too, and yes, I know it's hard. And I'm not saying this is necessarily easy, but there's a place we can go to in God. Isn't this the life you would like? Isn't this the life you would like? A life where you laugh at what's to come. Right? You laugh at what's to come because, and that's why we say it's one of our values as a church that we will be brave. We will go for things. We will venture out. We will get out in that deeper water. We'll go after God. We'll go after obeying God. We will go after bringing justice in our community. We'll go after bringing compassion and uplifting people. We'll make big asks because we we'll think, if we make this big ask, who knows what might happen? Yes. And wonderful things can happen. And that's what people are so often come and testify about, you know, at the front here on Sunday mornings. So this is for all of us, but I think, I think it can be particularly for, for, for women to encourage you, don't, don't succumb to fear, right? It's not your, not your calling, it is nobody's calling to be living in the life of fear. It's God's destiny for us to be free from fear. Psalm 27, my heart will not fear, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. There are things we can say and call out to one another and to our own spirits to call us out from fear. And, um, and so I want to say another little detour. Don't outsource your happiness. Right? Don't outsource your happiness. Right? Do not outsource your happiness. What do I mean by that? I think there can be a tendency sometimes to embrace this sort of teaching about wives submit to your husbands, where we get to that place where we can be the sort of people who say, oh, if only I could be married, I would be happy. Or it might be located somewhere else. If only I could have a child, then I would be happy or if only, or fill in the gap, whatever that blank is, if only I could have that, I can be happy. That is outsourcing your happiness. And you make yourself hostage to external events, that's not a happy place to be. You put yourself under the control, actually, ultimately, of Satan in doing that, because you make yourself his plaything. Don't outsource your happiness. There's only, you are responsible for being happy in God. And he is the only person worth outsourcing your happiness to. Why? Because he's good and because he is for you. And what's more, he's everlasting and he's all-powerful and he's made wonderful promises to you. And upon those promises, very great and precious promises, you can stand. And then you can laugh at the future. So this is what is uh, available to us. So um, please... Don't outsource your happiness. Then, another thing. Once you know that God is for you, you're free to be able to honour others. Which we've also had talked about this morning. Pradeep referenced honouring his dear wife Kavatha here. And it's so good for us in marriage to do honouring. But it's actually a good thing. It's another one of our values as a church. That we are honouring of others. It's so good to do that. And it cuts right at the heart of pride and issues in our own life. Because you, you know you're in trouble you, if you hear somebody else praised and, and you're annoyed about it, right? And that can happen sometimes. And God wants to pull out all that root of pride and, uh, and stuff right out of our lives so that we can truly rejoice when somebody else succeeds, even when they succeed at doing the thing we had hoped to do. Because right? that's when it really cuts When they got there first and we'd been hoping to get there first. You know, it might be even running up that hill as a child and the other child got there first. But what's your hill now? You know, what's that thing now? Do you know the race is never really against other people? Right? We're not racing against one another. We're, we're just racing with our Lord. And we're, in a sense, we're just trying to be the best to, to, to actually fill out the shoes he's given to us. We're not trying to fill someone else's shoes. We're trying to fill the shoes that he's given to us. And he's egging us on. He's cheering us on. He's not trying to trip us over. He's not trying to trick us. He's there, a good, good father, calling us forward. And he's for us. And all his commands are good and true. So let's be great at honouring one another, as Nathan did this morning for those who serve setting out chairs. It's so good to, you know, maybe you have children in children's work here in the church. Do you go, go to those children's workers and say how much you're grateful you are for what they do for your children. Go, go to your child's teacher at school and thank them and encourage them. Uh, there are so many people we can thank even giving eye contact to the teller at, you know the checkout people in the supermarket is so important you honor that person as a person by looking at them as you get to the front of the queue and they look up momentarily and they always do they always will look up to look you in the eye or well, that's my experience and are we looking at that moment because we honor them as a person rather otherwise you might as well have a robot there mightn't you <laughs> And I want to tell you, I find the person a lot easier to deal with than the robot. Have you tried using those self-service checkouts? It's like, un- unexpected item in the bagging area. What? It's the thing I just bought. I've just scanned it. But don't you get this? I don't understand those machines. You know, I scan the item. I put it there. Unexpected item in the bagging. i just scanned it. <laughs> So I I like the automation but I'm afraid I generally choose the person and they have eyes. It's a person. And Peter draws attention. It's a bit frightening this isn't it? You know that if you are married and you're a man and so that means you're a husband... You need to watch out about honouring your wife, because otherwise your prayers won't get answered. I mean, that's pretty severe, isn't it? <laughs> it tells you how important God thinks it is that we honour one another. How we treat one another is so important to God. You might be praying a prayer that's ever such a good, holy prayer, but it just gets put at the bottom of the pile. It's, so, it's left in the, the in-tray. All the while, you do not speak well of others. Maybe that's why your prayers aren't being answered. I don't know. <laughs> why, maybe, why, why, maybe why mine aren't answered all the time. There we go. So, uh, you might be feeling, you know, we can so easily see our the gaps in our own lives. How we, how, how we might not have fulfilled all even that scripture describes here. But just a little bit later in chapter 3, uh, uh, I might be on a slide, I can't remember, verse 18. It says, Christ... Peter writes here, this is 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Jesus has come to us to bring us to the Father. He's not just thrown a line or a ladder so you can try and climb up. No, he's come and he's brought you to the Father. Maybe a bit like that Old Testament picture where it says that God came and like an eagle brought us to himself. That's what the it's Exodus 19, I think like that. That God, like an eagle, has brought us to himself. That's what God has done in Christ. He's brought us to himself. Let him bring you. Let him bring you afresh. Do you want to stand as we let him bring us? Maybe the band would like to come up or they're on their way. So I want to ask you, maybe it's a novel idea to you that there might be commands in the Bible that you don't like... Even maybe some you've read today. But if God is good and he's for us, you could come to God and say, sorry Father, I find this command very difficult, but I'm willing to understand how this command could be good. I mean, it would stand to reason if God is God and you're a human being that He might have some thoughts that are a bit different to yours. It's just possible, isn't it? So, so let Him be God, and come gladly, and and become so assured. And for those of you, if you have still, if you're living all the time in a place of not trusting God as good and being for you. Father so wants to set you free from that. He's been speaking all morning about the fact that he loves us. And that's to bring us to a place where we trust him so more and more and more. And therefore can respond to him completely and let him be Lord. And gladly let him be Lord and embrace every one of those commands with joy. And find the goodness that is in every one of them. Because there is blessing and goodness in every one of his good commands. In keeping them there is great reward, it says in Psalm 19. In keeping his commands, there's there's great reward. You want that reward. And maybe it's the fear, that's that sense of the fear, laughing at what's to come. God wants to renew, set you free from fears.